the bell chiming six o'clock here in the medieval village of Robinsburg, Germany. I'd like to welcome everybody to week 10. Is that it? 10? It's the 10th week we've been studying together this ancient tome called Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love. We found it, it was in ancient archives of an old library. I copied it all over in my own words and had it published. <laughs> the secret hidden information about radiant joy, brilliant love. The camera's freezing. Uh, would you ask people if they can hear you? Can you guys put your thumbs up if you can hear me? Okay. Everybody just put your thumb up if you can hear me. Okay. All right, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, all right, I see that we're beginning and um, some people haven't seen some faces. I welcome you and I'd like to know just at the beginning, well, let's do this first. You know, we have a couple practices in possibility management that you may have heard about or not, which are to get your center, <clears throat> which is an way to external ideas or advertisements or loud sounds, whatever. And we ask you to take your intention, put it on your center and use your, put your attention on your center, use your intention to bring it and put it on your physical these are all ways of kind of entering presence so put your energetic center on your physical center then use your clicker to connect your center to the middle of the earth at the click your clicker and you count three one two three please tell me what the color is you don't have to turn your microphone on, but just say it out loud, the color of your grounding cord. One, two, three. And this apricot orange color. Give your clicker, please make a bubble around that. This is your own private bubble of space, your personal bubble of space. steps of adulthood. This is how you can be present and um, adult with other people and institutions and problems and opportunities, children, police, and trees, and all these things. You get to be present and centered and bubbled and grounded. It's a good place to start a meeting where we're gonna be reading from Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love. And please take a, a moment to move a little bit closer to your screen so you can see people. And um, I know you're staring into a computer screen, but it turns out that human beings can be connected 
are connected. And so please take a moment, take like 10 seconds, each person just look deeply into their eyes. Pick one person and just look deeply in and you can feel this heart to heart connection between a person. Don't bounce from person to person, just pick one person and, and connect. Hello, anybody there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought this would be a good time for the CIA to be spying on us because they would wonder what the hell we're doing. We can't hear anything. <laughs> Hello, Phyllis and Clinton and everybody. <laughs> Catherine. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hmm, everybody please take a deep breath then. Keep your center and your grounding cord in your bubble. Is anybody coming in to the space here with a particular question that uh, is burning in them right now? We just wanna to check to see if anybody's got a particular question right now. I don't see anything. Okay. All right. Well, last week we read about half of a paragraph and got sidetracked into some extraordinary spaces together and got to go exploring um, in these areas. And so there's no telling what's going to happen, but we're in the part of the book on page 34 in the parent ego state. We've been, we've been, taking a look at this old map from Eric Byrne from Transactional Analysis that although it is probably 60 years old as a thought map or more, it's still valid and even more relevant today. We were talking about the parent ego state and about how the voices show up and Sometimes it's necessary to shoot voices. I think your video sound is really lagging. Mm -hmm. so We're checking a technical thing here, just yeah. a second. So would you try to see if that works better? I don't have a plug for that. Okay, do you have a USB? Yeah. I'm gonna have to find it. Um, maybe. Hold on a second for a technical consideration uh so is it bliss still or is it something else it would be like if you would turn
turn off your Wi-Fi. What, this? Yeah. Okay, so just keep from that and go to this. Yeah, I think it's... Okay, and see if that works for me. Okay. Okay, we're back online. How do, how's it work? The same or, or is yeah. it? I just, I don't know about the voice. I can only see the video. Okay. Can you get, just do a voice check again? Can, if you can hear me, can you put your thumb up? Okay. That's good. All right. All right. Thank you for your patience. Child ego state, the one that's impatient. So the way this goes is I'll read for a little while and then we'll stop for questions and stuff. So if you have a question, just hold it until we stop. It'll be like 10 or 15 minutes and we'll stop. It's the child ego state. On this map that we're reading from, we have the parent, adult, and child ego state. In possibility management, we've added two more ego states, which is the gremlin ego state and the demon ego state, and actually an additional ego state, which is the archetypal ego state, which is only available and accessible through the adult ego state. So the reason we're studying and learning about parent ego state and child ego state and later the gremlin ego state is because if you don't know where you are, you can't go somewhere else. So we want to be able to tell where we are. There's very clear indicators about where we are. And then and you know what to do to get back into the adult ego state if you want, if you can rest back the reins of your mouth and your heart from the gremlin or whatever, get back into adult ego state, then you can do it. So child ego state. The child ego state includes both the free and natural child and the scared and needy adaptive child. These names describe their behaviors exactly. The scared, needy, adaptive child ego state is one in which the worst thing that could ever happen to you has already happened, and you're probably feeling scared that it could happen again. Here is where ungraspable fear comes from kind of a background fear, just as a side note. And Chloe has been doing a fear club. After people have been in a rage club, she's been doing a fear club. And it's fantastic to dive into and make these fears conscious and get a choice about them, which is what this is all about. Because when they're left over from a child ego state, you don't really have a, and you don't know that, you don't really have choice about it. It just takes you over. And if it's not, if you're not able to navigate fear very well, you can be running 30, 40% fears background body all day, every day, and think that that's normal. It really isn't normal. And there's ways out of that that are pretty straightforward that don't require drugs. That was background information. So as children, we often had needs that were not met. Unmet childhood needs leave a hollow, cold, empty place in our guts. So anybody can sense into that? You have this kind of empty, hollow place inside of you. And it's just kind of this unfillable, empty place. It's that place that you feel and you go stand in front of the refrigerator and open the refrigerator, but nothing in the refrigerator can fill that hole. Or 
you might you might think it's the job of your partner to do whatever it takes to fill that hole in you nothing they can do can fill it they could dump everything in there and it's not enough it's kind of like the cat we have around here no matter how long you pet this cat he wants more anyway we have to see if he has a, a childhood wound <laughs> <laughs> so we try to fill that place yeah when we stare into the open refrigerator we want our partner to fill that profound emptiness with endless i love you's we try to fill that place with sex or drugs or rock and roll, and still it is not filled. We might do anything to get that gaping pit of needs filled, give our respect away, be adaptive, get enmeshed, be codependent. We would wait around as an invisible doormat forever if there was a hope of fulfilling that bottomless hole. We internally experience ourselves as forever lacking some unattainable thing that is crucial to our well-being. This unfilled sensation establishes our ordinary human relationship to the world as a weak and suffering victim just trying to survive. Does anybody know anybody like that out there? Have you ever heard of anybody who kind of has that sensation like that? I want to add in something right now that we figured out since I wrote this, which was, which is that in the adult ego state, we need that empty place in our middle. It is not a design error and it doesn't mean something's broken. When you encounter that empty place as a child, for example, in the child ego state, it doesn't make sense. It's threatening. It, it feels wrong. But from the adult and archetypal ego states, that emptiness becomes a resource. It becomes a, a space inside of yourself of nothingness. It is a rich resource of nothingness that you can use to create everything. You need a source of nothingness out of which to create. So if you can, so I just want to add that in and we didn't have that figured out before, but since then I've had, we figured it out. So it's great to have a conversation with that empty place and sort of and begin to change your relationship to it so that it doesn't need to be filled. In fact, if it ever gets filled with something, you, you will be handicapped in a way because you won't have this inner source of nothingness that you need as a, as a source to create things. It's, a, it's like a workspace to create stuff. There's nothing in there you can create right out of that. So it's really a totally different relationship to that space. I'll keep reading. It's called, the next section is Ego State Conversations. Ordinary human relationship is founded in ordinary human communication. When the parent or child ego state in us speaks or gets spoken to by the parent or child ego state of another. And I will add in the gremlin ego state. So it could also be the gremlin ego state in us talking to all those other ego states. A parent to parent conversation would go something like, well, I don't like this. 
There's too many freedoms for the children these days, don't you think? And your Johnny certainly is going to have a little attitude problem when it comes time for him to get a job. Everybody knows what happens around your dining table at night. This is this judgment, criticism, has rules, full of rules, full of beliefs and supposed tos, and it's a rigid thing. And if you think back, perhaps in your own childhood, maybe your parents, in fact, behaved in some ways like that. Did anybody have a memories of that from your child, from your parents behaving like parents? You know, yeah. Any and any of you have kids? Did you ever? Do you ever do that with your kids? You know, the parent ego state. I'm because I said so. Because it's the rule. Because I'm the authority here. These kind of yeah. So and parent to child conversations go something like they're commanding. They're demanding. They're they're coming from a position of authority to somebody who's a, more like a slave or possession. So pick up your dirty clothes. Why do you always lose your eyeglasses? You are so forgetful. I always have to do it for you. Can't you figure out a way to be more organized? Don't just sit there. Sit there. There will certainly, that, this will certainly be the best thing for you. So it's like this authority thing. And so, you know, a lot of times, when somebody speaks to us from a parent, we respond from you can't make me or from a childish, you know, it, it triggers. This is whole, the whole purpose of this map from Eric Byrne, Dr. Eric Byrne, is that to be able to map out our interactions, to know where we are in the map and to say, God, this is completely predictable. This is so predictable. And, and that's what I'm saying is uh, that if, if, you can, if you can locate where you are in this map, you can see the mechanisms going on, then you don't have to perform according to the, the automatic responses. You can wake up. You can wake yourself up. So child, the child part would say to the parent part, well, yeah, I don't know how to do this. It is also confusing. What should I do next? Is this right? Is this right? You're, you're all Always, why can't they make things simpler? This is impossible for me. I'm too tired. It's overwhelming. I can't do this. Does anybody remember ever being in that state and having these kind of words come out of your mouth? Anybody ever have that kind of thing? So it doesn't matter how old you are. It, what, you can still be coming from the childhood place or the parent place, things like that, or the gremlin place. And here's another one from child to child. If you do that to me, then I will do this to you, asshole. Hey, I got you. Ha ha. That's mine, not yours. That's my place. Your place is over there. He's on my team. I want to sit next to him. My dress is prettier than your dress. Get out of my way. I'm angry. You're ugly. I'm smarter than you are. I won. Ha ha. You lost. Ha ha. So, and I'm sure anybody can have, you can relate to this. I mean, this, if you work in a, if, if you work in a, a, a usual kind of a job place, I'm sure that if you work in some kind of a job situation where you have colleagues or you're, you're supposed to have meetings or you meet by the water cooler or you're supposed to be having, you know, some kind of teamwork, I would bet you a donut to a dollar that, which 
I don't know how equivalent that is these days, but uh, that the most of the conversations that are occurring between the people are parent, child, or gremlin conversations. It's, it's the ordinary kind of conversation. And this is the way we're, we're basically locked into the ordinary spaces of these ordinary conversations until we get a taste for something else. So to get a taste for something other than this requires building matrix. So one of the reasons to be in the study group here together is it builds matrix. It just being here, attention, thinking about this, asking questions, kind of struggling with the vocabulary, the new ideas, working with this stuff. This is building, it's a, it's a kind of stress that builds matrix. And matrix is the stuff inside your being that allows you to catch more consciousness, basically, and be, become more present, take more responsibility. So what we're doing with this meeting, what's happening is we are actually, this is one of the ways, an excellent way to build matrix. It will, I don't know if anybody have, have any of you noticed anything in the last weeks? Have you noticed some part of you being built up inside that is able to have a greater capacity for presence and interaction? Anybody notice anything like that? Okay. Yeah, cool. So this it's mechanics. It's a kind of mechanics. This a study group like this is a very ex precise way and exact form for building matrix. And it's when you build matrix, evolution occurs by reflex. You don't have to try to evolve or try to become uh, try to behave according to some system of higher consciousness or something like that your behavior and attention and your interactions will evolve reflexively just in a it seems like without effort i mean it takes effort it's like conscious suffering for example to have set aside this time to come here and be together in this call is a kind of conscious suffering and the conscious suffering is exactly the kind that builds matrix so it's great to have these ideas so you actually know what you're doing and why it works. I mean, I think it's a great idea. I want to start at this next section before we ask and we start to dive into any questions. This is section 2C. It is called Low Drama. Imagine being an ant that lives in a child's plastic ant farm. You might, have, you might live out your entire life with every intention to live fully, but the result is that you fail to have many truly interesting options and you have no idea why not. The barrier that stands between you and the world is invisible to you because you are an ant and therefore do not have the capacity to understand the concept called acrylic plastic or ant farm. Lucky for us, you are not actually an ant. You do not have the, you do have the capacity to imagine an ant farm. The concept of ant farm can be equated to an invisible barrier that captures the minds and hearts of most 21st century human beings. 
for their entire lives. That invisible barrier is low drama. Low drama is any interaction designed to avoid responsibility. If we do not learn to detect and avoid low drama interactions, then you will live within an invisible ant farm that minimizes the quality of your relationships and you will have no idea why. Dr. Stephen Cartman, a student of Dr. Eric Byrne and transactional analysis, invented the model, the map, we call it a thought map, for low drama in San Francisco in 1965. And he described it in an article in 1968. As the story goes, Dr. Cartman loved to diagram the action plays that are made during the game of American football. One Sunday afternoon, he's watching a game on television and his wife invited him to keep his promise of taking her to the movies that afternoon. So Dr. Cartman goes, oh no, I'm watching the game. And she says, oh no, you're coming to the movies. So he goes to the movies with his little book and he still has his book in the movies. Dr. Cartman um, still has his pen and pad in hand. And as the film begins to play, Dr. Cartman automatically starts noting the interactions in his diagramming. In the first diagrammatic scene, there was a bad guy persecuting a poor victim. And then along came a good guy for the rescue. In the next scene, there was a helpless victim being rescued and along comes a bad guy. The next scene, there was a hero attacked by a villain and then rescued by his kids. On page after page, Dr. Cartman diagrams the interactions and to his great surprise, every single diagram, every single drama and the roles being played out are identical. After 30 pages of diagrams, Dr. Cartman has created the remarkable map that he named the Cartman Drama Triangle. So he has a website on that, you can, you can look it up. He's been, I got to meet him in 1975 in San Francisco and tell him about our, our use of his low drama triangle map in our map of possibility. And he was really excited and couldn't care less because he was busy doing his thing. So Dr. Cartman's drama triangle reveals that many of our day-to-day -day human interactions are simply unconscious role-playing in one of these three strategic characters, the victim, the persecutor, the rescuer. In this book and in Possibility Management, we've renamed the drama triangle Low Drama so as to incorporate it into a bigger map called the Map of Possibility, which we will explore in depth much later. Because once you have integrated a thorough understanding of low drama, you then have a chance of creating high drama, which will be covered later in the book in the Map of Possibility, okay. So of the three roles, the victim is the most powerful. This is because a skilled victim can make a persecutor out of anyone. Do you know what I mean? Okay. All the victim needs is one tiny shred of evidence to prove that the persecutor is hurting me. 
you have betrayed me. You have attacked me. You have, you have abandoned me. You have hurt me. Like these things are all the, all the victim needs because then the victim has the right to switch roles with the persecutor and go for revenge, sweet revenge. Another way that the victim is the most powerful character in a low drum is that if there is no victim, there can be no low drama. You get that? If, if nobody agrees to play out the role of victim, there can be no role drama. There's this great story when, when uh, it was a trainer in one of our trainings, she was, um, she was, she was holding a rage cushion. Somebody was using a rage stick. And as the, as they stopped, the stick bounced up sideways. They weren't paying attention and it, it hit Nicolay in the head. That's not what happened to me, by the way. I got this a different way. Anyway, um, so everybody goes, oh, no, oh, oh, Nicola, what can we do for you? Oh, my God. And she stands up. She says, shut up. She says, stop it. I am not a victim. It was the end of the conversation. These rescuers came in and tried to do something, but she, did not, she refused to play victim. And so you can also choose to refuse to play victim. Imagine that. What would that do to your life if you decided to refuse to play victim? Even in, even in situations that were so obviously, where you're so obviously powerless, you know, where there's a president who's going insane in your name, you know, and it seems like you're powerless, or, you know, on and on. There's some, you know, species are dying 200 a day you know how are you stopping that like you're it's like there's these places where it seems like you are obviously a victim and you do not have to play this role it's not about going into denial it's not about going into a fantasy world where where what's happening is not happening that would be a fantasy world it's not about that it's about taking radical responsibility, which is something extraordinary or archetypal to do. And since the book begins with the domain of ordinary, we, we won't get there for a while. But I just want you to know it's possible to refuse to play victim. And all of a sudden, there's no low drama anymore. I keep reading for a little bit. When we first hear about victims and low drama, we might be thinking, Oh, those poor people who get caught in low dramas. I would certainly not want to be one of them. Hey, baby, wake up and smell the donuts. Them is us. Low drama is the most popular game played on earth. You do it. I do it. We all do it. The only question is about details. When, where, with whom, how often, and why. Low drama is a survival game based on the perspective that there are not enough resources. Resources include such commodity as commodities as position, power, like rank, work time, space, energy, money, attention, love, fun, dessert, 
intimacy and leisure are not enough resources and the other person gets to have them, then we don't. It's this idea that resources are limited. Then they win and we lose. Low drama is played to win. Low drama is very exciting. There are good guys, bad guys, even a poor damsel in distress. The good guy rides up in his white horse and says, I'll pay the rent. I'll save the day. At least we are hoping some good guy comes to save us. If a good guy comes and does a bad job of rec rescuing us, imagine that. A good guy comes and does a bad job of rescuing you. Can you imagine that? Somebody comes up, you know, I'll help you. And you know, when they break something or make a bigger mess or cause a bigger low drama. We spin the low drama around, shift from victim to persecutor, and we persecute our rescuer. We, you know, we beat the shit out of the people who said they were coming to help us, and then they kind of sloppily undermine the whole possibility, and the whole thing's chaos, and we just have to, let's see, it's horrible. If no good guy comes at all, then we have to rescue ourselves. Anybody have to rescue yourself? today <laughs> you know we do the whole thing in what are you laughing about <laughs> and Chloe's over there laughing her head up what are you I'm, laughing I'm about gremlin. I'm sorry. her gremlin's laughing okay <laughs> so if no good guy comes at all and we have to rescue ourselves we prove that the rescuer the persecutor is hurting us in some way, and then we are perfectly justified in persecuting the persecutor. Revenge at last. All this is very exciting. If we run out of low dramas in our own life, then we can turn on the television, open a newspaper, or go to a movie. If we run out of low dramas in our own life, then we gossip with other people about low dramas in their life. It's like eating, it's like vultures kind of eating secondhand lunch, something like that. Low drama is so exciting, it is almost like life. You know, most of us think, without thinking about it, that low drama is life. What we're saying here, low drama is not life. Low drama is only low drama. If you assume low drama is life, you lock yourself into the ant farm and throw away the key. In trying to understand low drama as being a subset of life, it is the rescuer who is most difficult to vilify. Can you, yeah. Maybe we pause. I don't know if we pause the question. Or... Okay. After all, the rescuer is trying to rescue somebody who needs their help, right? How could rescuing be bad? First of all, nothing about low drama is bad. Nothing is good either. But also nothing is bad. Low drama is action designed to avoid responsibility, and these actions create certain results. It is easy to detect low drama by detecting the associated low drama behaviors. If there is blaming, it's low drama. If there is resentment, it's low drama. 
If there's justification, it's low drama. If there's complaining, low drama. Gossiping, being right, trying to make somebody wrong, it is low drama. What low drama is, is ordinary, very ordinary. Once you have clarified about what low drama is and how to detect low drama, then you get a choice. You can decide whether or not you want to continue creating low drama in your relationship. I'm going to read one more paragraph and then we'll stop for a second. Second of all, rescuing comes from the same emotionally charged position as persecuting. With arrogance and disrespect, the persecutor says, I'm okay, you are not okay, I must get rid of you. Think of Adolf Hitler and the story of the superior Aryan race. Think of Donald Trump. So the rescuer says, I'm okay, you are not okay. You are not even good enough to do it yourself. So I must do it for you. Think of a mother who takes over her child's activity even if the child did not ask for help. This too is superior and disrespectful. Notice how both the persecutor and the rescuer maintain the same viewpoint that the victim is not okay. Rescuing is defined as offering help that is not wanted or asked for. Rescuing is just as much low drama as persecuting. And one particular clever swindle is victims who act as if they're being responsible. They take out the garbage, vacuum the floor, take the kids to school, wash the dishes, go to work, all like a responsible person might, but they do it all as a victim, not really wanting to do it. This thing about not really wanting to do it is huge. Not truly choosing to do it and not fully committing to do it. They do it because no one else wants to do it or because it should be done or because it is the right or proper thing to do. They do it as a burden. They do it out of guilt or obligation rather than out of taking responsibility. Such a person is not being responsible. They're being a responsible victim. It's a trick. The responsible victim is a, is a low drama theatrical role with a very big payoff because after all, your complaints get to be truly righteous. Your woes are justified. When I first realized that I had been playing the responsible victim game for most of my adult life, I sat through an entire Thai dinner crying into my pineapple shrimp curry while the rest of the people in the training went on happily eating. It was a dinner to remember. It's a true story. The delusion of low drama is that by playing victim or by persecuting or rescuing, something will change. This is the delusion of low drama, that something will change. This is very expensive delusion. Low drama changes nothing, ever. No matter how resentful you are, how perfectly justified you are, or how right you are, or how loudly you scream your rightness, you know, 
how, how clearly you explain yourself, no matter how strongly you complain or attack, nothing changes. The only thing that happens in low drama is that you get older. Change happens through responsibility, and low drama is about avoiding responsibility. Low drama is expensive because the time and energy you spend dramatically avoiding responsibility in low drama is time and energy that you will never get back. Unfortunately, having intellectual clarity about low drama will not alter your behavior. Behavior change changes through responsibly experiencing the pain you are creating in each moment. The clarity in the previous paragraphs about low drama may seem interesting, but don't kid yourself. You will change no words or actions or thoughts or feelings until it gets too painful for you to keep doing what you do now. The purpose behind the following handbook is to increase the pain of your moment-to-moment -moment awareness. So this next section basically will make you want to barf. Everybody should get a bucket. I'm serious. We shouldn't go there right now. We should talk for a few minutes. It's called The Handbook for Creating Ordinary Human Relationship. It is rather devastating. It's very clear. And let's take a pause for a second, see if there's any questions or comments. Anybody got anything cooking right now? Me, Clinton. Jose. Clinton. Jose Vicente. Uh, Yes. Hi, Clinton. Uh, when when I was in when I wa wa was with you and uh, and Chloe in Brazil on the expand the box, uh, you told me that uh, on psychology I would have a very big problem. Uh, and uh, now I'm having this trouble uh, on a bigger scale because here on Brazil we are discussing a lot uh, a, a structural racism. And uh, that's a big issue here, big, big issue here, because uh, people are starting, people here are starting to, to make a very nice movement, like on the whole country, about how like uh, white people on capitalism and on, on, on this uh, uh, very old uh, uh, structural way of the society, on cultural representations, on norms, are forcing ways always uh, on the white people's way, uh, and uh, and uh, we have um, a lot of things are in the government. They are starting to build some some social spaces for people to to speak. So what's happening right now is that um, there is a lot of uh, friends of mine that are suffering of this and in and dealing these kind of situations in my school, I had one that uh, all of a sudden one one colleague started to accuse another of racism. But we saw two things: that one, she was like like this, not because she was uh, like being drowned uh, on structural racism all the time, but 
the way she was putting that out was accusing and making revenge and making a big scene to say, you are racist, you are the worst people. And it was like on, the, on the, our, our coordinator of our school, our president of our school. And that was a very bad thing because she wanted public. She wanted, and, and there was a split because the, the black persons in our group like uh, were saying, uh, it doesn't matter the way she talks. It doesn't matter if she's accusing because we are on a race, structural racism. And even if she's not doing correctly or responsibly, like she has to have a, a, a a, a, a voice, um, a voice, a, possi a voice, a possibility. So, uh, as she suffered all the structural racism, you can't count that a white person is going to give her freely the the the, the, the space to say, "I was, I, I suffered this." So, if she's accusing, we can we can never say, "Oh, you're doing it wrong because you are the prosecutor," but but instead we have to give her voice even if it's not okay because of the structural racism and that's a question that is like disrupting my mind because uh, uh that's like uh, it's the it's the it's the the place of talk that comes first and not the responsible place that comes first and i i know i don't know if you can give me some directions or insights because this is a very, very big question happening in our country now. Thank you. That question is happening many places in the world right now, actually. Mm -hmm. And it's a reflection of this, of what I just said about you won't change anything until it gets too painful to keep doing it the old way. And what you're experiencing in my opinion, what's, what we are experiencing now, we're starting to experience pain. We're consciously being able, and so this woman was not immediately killed. Is that correct? She's still alive? Yes. Okay, so a hundred years ago, she might be dead already. And in other situations, she might be dead already. So the, the kind of racism that you're talking about has been happening all around the world for 6,000 years. So there's a structural racism in built in to the capitalist patriarchal empire that has been the major game world on the planet for, for countries and, and cultures for 6,000 years. It is designed in. So it will not change within the structure. So this, the structure is about, it's starting to crack. The structure itself is shaking. See, every empire is based on slavery. You need slaves. And the slave in the capitalist patriarchal empire is oil or nuclear power or burning fossil fuels. Well, the slaves are starting to leave because the fossil fuels are no longer, it's no longer possible to just burn fossil fuels without exterminating life on planet Earth. So the slaves are leaving. It's no longer possible to run the empire 
because the slaves are leaving. So there's collapse happening. So you're just seeing is very early signs of collapse. The, facts, the fact that the woman could say this or that you're even feeling something right now, you've become so aware that you sense this as a real problem rather than just some person who's gone crazy, they should just be killed or put away in some institution. So the, the fact that people can listen is part of the breaking down. But I'm going to suggest to you that, in my opinion, there's no, you will, you will not, nothing will change while you patriarchy. Whole reasons, I'll tell you my secret reason that we're reading this book is, is because it's a handbook for how to leave the patriarchy. This is your personal handbook for starting to live in a culture in your daily person that is out is outside it's at the edge of and beyond the patriarchy no longer can be controlled or dominated by the patriarchy because you leave you are taking steps to build in you ways behaviors perceptions sensations empowerment you're being empowered to abandon the patriarchy jose vicente it won't take long before you start your own nano nation you you will organize community in next culture called archiarchy you will organize a community in next culture called archiarchy you will build a nano nation people will live in next culture and it's like the it's like the, the you will just let you will just walk out of your job you will walk out of the old culture you will walk out of the structural racism you will leave it behind because it is it's out it's irrelevant it becomes irrelevant when you can relate in extraordinary and archetypal ways with people at work, people in your neighborhood, people at home, with yourself. When, you, when you're doing that, you no longer are live in patriarchy. You will create new structure. We call it new game worlds. This is a handbook for building game worlds that make the existing game worlds irrelevant. You don't change things. You never change things by fighting the existing game worlds. So I encourage you not to try to fight the existing game worlds. The existing game worlds have pepper spray. They have rubber bullets. They have this burn frequency that they can shoot at you from helicopters. It makes your skin burn. You just run screaming away. They haven't used it very much, but they have it. So they have, so the existing structures, the existing game worlds, are designed to defend themselves against attack. You, you, it's a pointless, it's rather pointless use of your time and energy to try to change existing game worlds. Just build new ones and go move into them. Just leave the thing. So this is a, a phrase from Buckminster Fuller that we've updated. And because the existing, existing game worlds are already uh what's that word obsolete they're already obsolete existing structures everywhere around the planet are already obsolete so we you you us 
we are learning now how to build new new culture new structure no cultural structures that leave structural racism behind just drops it and it's painful to drop it and scary but it's also so exciting it is so that's what i get out of bed for every morning i get out of bed because i'm excited because i'm building bridges to next culture and i'm building next culture and i'm building ways for other people to build next culture that's what this is about okay okay clinton thank yeah you. thank you for your, thank you for bringing that up it's really important thank you somebody else um sarah okay sarah then mia next okay uh mia can go next if she, if she wants to that's fine i can wait madam you have the floor Sarah, you're on. Oh, okay. So, um, the for me, it, it helps to expand the concept beyond my culture to evolutionary biology, uh, which for me gives me some archetypes to work with that are very similar, um, but not culturally bound. Um, and uh, um, so, for me, uh, uh, it, uh, the victim persecutor uh rescuer it becomes predator prey protector and um if i think about it in terms of predator prey protector um i and and i look at the and, and i go back 600 million years in evolution there was a time where predator where predation was basically unknown on planet earth and um their life existed we were mostly single cell organisms um but and we were mostly we lived in an energy rich environment um, so there was massive resources available to us compared to our needs. So there was just a we, we we were barely relating to each other because we were just able to sort of hang out and bask in the in the ocean and the sun. And our our major challenge as as living beings was just to not get dried out. Um, and so there's there's and and then about 500 million years ago, predation enters the scene. And when predation enters the scene, now we begin to develop bones, claws, the mechanisms to move, the mechanisms to prevent our interest, to protect our interests, to chase to chase others down as food, and to chase after things we want that seem precious, and to run away from things um, that seem terrifying, and to fight off things. And so there's the so we be we have the potential wired into all of us to be either predator or prey. And um, and then and about 400 million years ago. We realized that there's value in um, that that initial part of us that maybe just enjoyed basking in the sun realizes that that we can bask in each other that we don't actually have to be um, that we don't have to be each other's enemies that we can actually bond and um, and that we can use Sarah, our our active capacities to protect us to to help each other. Could you so, pause for just a second? Yes. Yes. Can you, have a, can you put a link for an article or a book on that stuff? Yes, because that would I think that would be great if people wanted to grasp that uh, viewpoint that they could just dive into the really get it from an article because a, a brief recapsulation might not really do its service. So if you would be willing to leave a link for people to research that I think it's a fantastic resource. Is that okay with you? Fair enough. Yes. Okay. Thank you. What 
what I'd like to add to what you just said, if that's okay, is simply a lot of the viewpoint about what a resource is comes from the patriarchal empire and it uses physical resources that are, you know, like oil, trees, or things like that, minerals in the ground, these things that are that are limited resources and base their economy on whoever possesses those as being the winners. So in the culture that I've been exploring in the culture that this book comes from, there are many more other resources that are unlimited. So for example, we, ha we, won't, we haven't talked about them yet, but we will. Bright principles such as integrity, clarity, possibility, love, transformation, high level fun, which is high drama. These things are huge resources that a next culture economy is based on that are unlimited. And it's a kind of treasure that grows by giving it away rather than a treasure that grows by stealing it from someone else. So it's an, an entirely different kind of economy that even single-celled organisms or multi-celled organisms that collaborate don't have a grasp of. It's only now, at our, at our level of consciousness now, that we're complex enough organisms to, to have the consciousness to be aware of these kinds of resources and, can, and base that as the economic structure of next culture. So I just want to throw that in yeah. as a... Yes, that's the third. That's the third wave. What you're talking about there is the third wave of evolutionary biology, where we begin to discover ourselves as resources and allies, not just competitors for scarce resources. Cool, cool. I look forward to reading that. Thank you very much, Sarah. Can you, Sarah? Can you can you throw it in the WhatsApp group while we're here? Because then we post that in the. Oh, she's going to. I'll put it in the WhatsApp group. Like, um, or post it in the WhatsApp group. It'll take me a while to chase it down. I don't want to miss this. No problem. Thank you, Sarah. Mia. Thank you. I am struggling a little bit. I'm the concept of low drama. So I have a daughter who is 20 and she's constantly complaining. I have a, I have a, I have a high drama solution to your low drama problem. Okay. We have a website called Mother Graduation Party. It's time for you to have a mother graduation party. You don't have a daughter so, anymore. Right. Now you're going to have to find out who Mia Glick is without an ongoing constant source of low drama called your daughter. You, define, you have to discover a new Mia Glick that is no longer a mother, but a woman. And there's a woman over there who's got some DNA in common with you, who is having seemingly a lot of low dramas. She can do whatever she wants with it, but it's not, it's not your problem when you, yeah. So when you have your mother graduation party, when you have it, just read the website. It has exact instructions how to, how to do this. It's fantastic. I did it. It's fantastic. Totally changed my relationship with both my daughters. Just like, it was amazing. And they do not come. 
the daughters are not at the party. Okay, you have other people at your party. Yeah. So yeah, so I would encourage that as a as a radical um, reorientation of your point of origin. There's another website called Point of Origin. I don't know how much is on it, but it's you're 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 taking your point of origin, the place where you're coming from, out of like pulling the roots out of a game world called mother and you put it in a different place. You get some choices about what other places you want to put your new, your point of origin, but you can put it in an entirely different place. So then you wake up in the morning into the place where your point of origin is coming out of instead of the whole mother thing, which ended probably, I don't know, a year ago or something. It's been over for a little bit. You're, you've, you've, you've passed your best if used by date. You've exceeded your best if used by date as a mother. So it's great. It's great. It's, there'll be big sadness, Mia. There'll be really big sadness. There'll be fear. There'll be some anger. Or Anyway, it's great. No, there, there's a question. Is there something similar for the, the daughters or the children? And the answer is... Yes, it's called Authentic Adulthood Initiatory Processes. There's 352 websites online now, each one with Authentic Adulthood Initiatory Processes and lists of more. So there's plenty of, there's, there's huge amounts of resources out there for them to enter adulthood through those bridges. So but it's a very different thing than the mother graduation party. Who's a daughter? For you. Ah. Cool. Thank you, Mia. Somebody else, you're welcome. Somebody else, anything else right now? I'm, it's a off the wall thing, but I wanted to hear a few words from Cole. I don't, I don't ever talk to you before. Can you say a couple of words, Cole, what you're doing over there in England? Uh, yeah, hi. Um, I'm I'm connected to the um, the New Zealand crew, um, so I know Janet and Anna and Tristan. <laughs> so, hey, Janet. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I used to live in New Zealand, um, and hopefully, I'm going back there. And uh, yeah, so I've been connecting with those guys online, kind of Zoom groups, and and I've, I've read the book, and okay. and yeah, great. So, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great. Any anybody any other questions from anybody right now? All right then. Let's read a little bit more. So I actually while I'm reading, it's a list. It's a list of 122 things, 122 ways. It's like a life strategies. There's 122 strategies for creating ordinary human relationship. So while I'm going along, I would, I would be glad if you would take your beat book, if you have your beat book or a piece of pen and paper, and you would, when, when something really hits you, when you go, God, this is something I've been doing, if we just, if I just keep, if I go just to read the next thing, you will forget. Your box, your mind, 
can forget something in less than three seconds. I'm sure you've had that experience. You, you remember something, go, I'll never forget this for my entire life. Three seconds later, you can't even remember what it is. Okay, so to assure that that doesn't happen, it'd be great if you would write down the things that really hit you. And because each one of those is either a doorway to a, a healing, a transformational healing process for you, or it is an experiment to try. So either you can, you can to try to have different behavior. So those two things are very precious. To have a doorway to an, an emotional healing process is very precious, and, but, but you can easily forget it unless you write it down. So you just start numbering. You don't, you, I'll tell you the numbers as we go through. It doesn't really matter. What matters is, is you, is you write down, it really hits you, about you. You'll, you'll, of course, find things that other people have done with you. That's not going to help you because trying to change somebody else is like trying to change your mother. Anybody ever try to change your mother? How did it work? <laughs> Forget it. So this thing about changing other people, there are some magical ways to change other people, but they're archetypal and extraordinary ways. Not We're not there yet. So... The thing about now is, is ourselves. We're in this for ourselves. And so if you can find a doorway, you know, a reminder for some, some healing or healing process that you need, write that down. And, or, or you go, God, this is just a behavior. This, I, this, I really want to change this. This is me. And I want to change this. You just write it, write it down. Okay. And then you'll have this great list uh, that you extract from what I'll be reading. You extract from that. Um, these jewels for yourself. And so during the next week, you can do two or three of these practices, do two or three of these emotional healing processes. Did, did we establish that yet? Do we have a, we have a WhatsApp group, you know? So on this WhatsApp group, if you hit one of these emotional healing processes, for example, or if you want ideas for how, what kind of experiments to do to change this behavior, you put it on the WhatsApp group and say, look, could two people have a call with me and hold space and take me through this emotional healing process? And then two people will get back to you, you set up your call, and you go through the process. This works so well. You just mentioned the website, but there's some guidelines about how to hold it. It's called process? Yeah, I'll post it in there. Okay, so and Chloe is now posting a, she just posted a website called Process. And we've just been working on this. She's been putting in clear information about and I, and I ask you to please read it for how it's guidelines for taking people, taking each other through an emotional healing process, an actual emotional healing process. So it has guidelines for that that are very clear, very straightforward. And, you know, if this were, if we were having this conversation in an indigenous culture, then if a person needed some kind of an emotional healing process, then they would call in the shaman, right? And the shaman would come to your place and he would do the thing on you. And then the great shaman would come in, do the thing on you, and then leave. You would pay him something, a pig or some chickens, or I don't know, you pay him, and he'd, be, he'd become more powerful and more famous. And this is how the indigenous shamanism works. 
is that the great shaman comes in, does it to you, and then leaves. So you, you have your emotional healing process. But it's different, it's very different from the shamanism that happens in next culture. In next culture, what the shaman does is come in space and have you do the surgery on yourself. They, they do whatever they do to support you, train you, clarify the process, hold space for the process, but you do the process on yourself. And because of that, you become a next culture shaman. Once you have done a process one or two times, you are probably able to deliver and hold that space for somebody else to go through that same process. Now, the thing is, there's a ton of processes. So it's not like you're going to run out of clients. So I'm saying that every single one of you could quit your corporate job and, and make your complete all the money you ever need by delivering the processes that you've already had. And then every time you get a new process from somebody else in the circle here, then you can deliver that process. You build up your next culture shamanism skills as you become more and more initiated into adulthood. This is called, this is the next culture. It's how it works. So you get the difference between traditional indigenous uh, shamanism and next culture shamanism is very clear. So it's great. So. Can I, yeah. Can, and then can you say it in this way? That if there is a particular healing process or a particular Can you say it? Let me just let me just turn no. it off. Would you say it? Anne Chloe is asking me to tell you that if there is a particular healing or initiation process for a particular one of the hundred and twenty two for for one of these hundred and twenty two things that you would share it. Uh, yeah. So if you find you know if you if you're excited about the practice or the healing process either one of those two things, your experiment or the healing process that you go through for any of these 122 things, write it in the group for us. Because we're trying to spread all this stuff around on our 350 websites. So we're just, we would share the, you know, you're part of the research team. This group is a research group. It's a research team. There's a new website called Research Team. <laughs> so it is. <laughs> And, and so we're on this research team. So everything you discover, please sh sh kick it back into the group. And we will, we will build up this, you know, the momentum for next culture to happen. This is what this team is. So, okay. Get it? So if you want to go through a process or you want ideas for experience, throw it on the group, get some ideas, and go ahead like that. Get the support and do it. Here we go. Handbook for creating ordinary human relationships. Here are 122 specific instructions and practices for how to start and end ordinary human relationship. Study them carefully to improve your ordinary human relationship intelligence. Number one, complain to your partner so this could also be your colleague or your boss, but in this case, I'm just using the word partner. Complain to your partner about anything that does not suit you. And by you, I mean your box. Use a whining, victim-y tone of voice when you complain. You know, one that really gets their nerves, you know, terrified. Respond negatively 
to any assurance that they give you about anything. Make sure that the object of your complaints can never be resolved. You complain, your partner tries to fix it, you create reasons why their solutions will not work. At least in this game, you always have something to talk about. This is number one. Number two, try to be right whenever issues arise. Argue your points emphatically. Do not give up until your partner concedes that you are right. Chalk it up to a victory. That's number two. Number three, in order to supplement being right, also make your partner wrong whenever there's an opportunity to do so. After all, you are not making them wrong. <laughs> they actually are wrong. And you are just doing them a favor of pointing it out to them. Number, Shannon, that sounds like one you should write down something about. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> number four, take a rigid position about everything and anything. For example, I have to wash my face before I go to bed. Be fanatical about your positions. Go for the throat. Take no prisoners. Justify your position any way that you can. Explain yourself until they suffocate in data. After all, everyone has a right to their own opinions. Number five, feel resentment about anything your partner ever did that offended or frightened or embarrassed you. Whenever you look at your partner, Remember your resentments first. Never forgive or forget your resentments. Number six, feel resentment about your own childhood. Remember old wounds. Assume that the people presently around you will wound you again in the same way. Project this onto your partner. Your partner then becomes your enemy with conscious or unconscious intentions to harm you. Stay little, never grow up. Never forgive, never forget, never grow up. Number seven, feel resentment about your children, your boss, and your colleagues. After all, resentment is a way to take care of yourself by feeling strong and righteous. Do you ever wake up in the morning and count your enemies? You wake up, then you know who you are and you know what your day is about. 
just wake up in the morning, count your enemies and go, yeah, I have work to do today. I gotta be resentful and get paybacks. Number eight, have a never ending competition with your partner about who has the worst life. Dedicate yourself to proving to your partner that your life is less fun than theirs is. Even if life seems momentarily good, you have the shit end of the stick. Search for subtle evidence to demonstrate that your partner has it better than you. This gives you more permission to go shopping. Number nine, if your partner does somehow have a little bit of fun, make them feel guilty as hell. They should have been working on something. There is so much that needs to be done or that needs to be cleaned up. Who do they think they are having fun? Number 10, confine your experience of love to the linear, personal, transient, conditional, minimized, localized, ordinary verbal reality of the phrase, I love you. As soon as the echo of the spoken words fade out of the room, so does your faith in your partner's love. Number 11, give up about little things. Give up about life. Have no hope. Try to make your partner rescue you from this massive hopelessness. If they fail to rescue you, blame them for not caring enough and assume they are having an affair. Number 12, get a nice car and keep it clean. Get a high-tech mobile phone and a slick computer. Live in your car, your phone, and your computer. Look at your relationship and wonder why it is so necessary to your car, your phone, and your computer. Obviously, the mess must be your partner's fault. Number 13, be strong, try hard, be perfect. Always keep pushing yourself. Push yourself until you break down psychologically, emotionally, or physically, and then make your partner pick up the slack for you so they can finally value all the work you've been doing for them. I see Amanda, she's going, no, oh no, I don't do that. She's saying, I can read your lips. <laughs> Oh no, I wasn't talking about, okay. Number 14, do not be happy. Do not enjoy life. Do not be powerful. Have excuses for that that blame other people or your life circumstances for not being happy, powerful, and enjoying life. Number 15, 
give away your authority so you do not have to make decisions about your life. Give your authority to any authority figure, doctors, plumbers, computer guys, the phone company, the car mechanics, the government, your children, the tax people. Give it away to anybody. Feel weak and used because you have no authority. Feel stupid. Complain about the bad service and high prices and having no authority. Number 16, stay in your head. Righteously value intellectual and rational considerations above all else. Confine your life to your reasons and your logic. No matter what, do not feel. Feelings are irrational. I think I'm going to take a pause right now and we'll continue on the list next week. This is a good start. I want to just leave a few minutes for anybody, if anybody has anything coming up or questions or stuff going on. Anybody want to share anything? Hi, my name's Robin. Hello, Robin. I'm Mia's sister. Mia Glitter. Ah, cool. Nice to meet yeah, you. I joined late, so I didn't I didn't hear what you said about what are you listing? I didn't hear that part. These are the hundred these are instructions. These are very clear instructions for the hundred and twenty-two ways of life to create ordinary human relationships. Okay. The book, the book we're reading in essentially is divided in three parts, about ordinary, extraordinary, and archetypal. Okay. So in a way, it's the underworld part that we're going into first. Okay. Can I get a copy of the book? It's online, available at Amazon, both ebook and physical forms, but it has a new title now okay. and, a new, and a new cover. So it's called Building Love That Lasts Now. Okay, that's on Amazon? Yeah. Just okay. look up this guy, Clinton Callahan. You look up that guy and you'll see it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. Anything else, somebody else? Thank you. You're welcome. Yes, Ingrid, we haven't heard from you for a while. I'm glad you have your hand up. <laughs> Really? Hi. Hi. Yeah. No, I'm 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 listening, and, and it's a new world for me because I I never went to expand uh, your box training. So uh, I read the book completely two years or three years ago, and so I'm reading it back. So thank you. Um, uh, what I want to say is that in a way, every from these 128 points, I know from my gremlin but in different graduations. Um, so, so when uh, those ones, so, so which percent, percentage uh, I should uh, notice uh, from, from which percentage on? <laughs> what, uh, yeah. Yeah, here's the experiment. The experiment is to sit with yourself, just kind of sit with yourself and try to sense, it won't be in your mind, you just try to sense 
And every once in a while, one of these phrases was like, will hit, it'll, it's like a guitar string, will go boing, it'll, it'll resonate. And it'll set off some memory or emotion or feeling a little bigger than the other ones. And that one you just, just write it down. For, for, and you can work on it later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I notice also when I hear all that, that uh, I can relate to, to different age of myself when I did it. So, so some, something I, I knew I, I don't do that uh, anymore, maybe sometimes, but I'm very conscious about that. So I'm, I'm, I, I have the ability to avoid it if I don't want to. Um, so, so this I notice also. Ingrid, are you offering sessions for people? Yeah. What do you call it? Um, the work. <laughs> I do the work. I don't know if you know it, Byron Katie. I know the work of Gurdjieff more than the work of Byron Katie, but that's Byron Katie stuff is really very resonant with what we're doing. I guess you know that already. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Far, yeah. So, so each each experiment that you figure out or each emotional process that comes up is is something to offer your other people it's really it's really to offer your other people also your clients the people who come in and so i just encourage you to be bold with taking a stand for what you offer i'm not just talking to ingrid here i really want to talk to most of you is we're already, this is week 10 in Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love. If you've got, if you're this far, you're able to provide value for people beyond, I don't want to insult anybody, but we just, we just had feedback from Anne Chloe's mother. This is a woman who is living in New Zealand. Anne Chloe, do you want to tell this story? No, go ahead. She's right there. She's, she could disagree with me. I'm just going to try to repeat what she said, which is, her, this is like last week. Her mom tell, writes to her and says, I have, I've been in your rage club. So she's been in Anne Chloe's online rage club for four weeks, I think it was. And now she's in the fear club. She says, through this work, just getting my anger back, I have changed my job, made a boundary with my neighbor. And what was the other thing? Those are too many. Those are too many. And, and, and I was not able to do those after 15 years of therapy. Yeah. And, and sort of making a, a wall with her parents. Oh, yeah. Not be hooked by her parents. And not be hooked by her parents anymore. These three major things after, you know, four online rage club sessions that from possibility management, from this feeling stuff, she goes, because I didn't feel it before, because I did not have my anger before. It was not clear and conscious as a tool and a resource that I could use. So, so the, if you can offer, if you can provide people with this, even that, even just, hey, I feel 33% angry and it's not going to work, you know, and then people can inner navigate their anger and use it. This is so valuable. So, so yeah so i would love to i would love to encourage and empower every single one of you really to to provide sessions for people either online or in person whenever that's possible 
and start giving away what you already have. It's like you, you really get it by giving it away. That's when, that's when you start getting how amazingly clear and powerful it is. And as soon as you do your bright principles, as soon as you jack into your bright principles, you will find them working through you. They just work through you. You will have so much clarity and possibility and power and like it's joy and like this stuff rips through you that like you wonder why, how you could have possibly lived without taking radical responsibility for being a representative of your own bright principles. So I would, it would be, I'm just glad Ingrid that you're doing that. And I, how many people could you put your hands up are offering sessions for people? How many people are offering online or offline sessions for people? Okay. Keep your hands up. <clears throat> so this is a skilled batch of people. You guys are a skilled batch of people and I'm so glad. Thank you. Thank you. So that's why we can do this for each other, but it's also why we can do this for other people. It's just like, so if you had, if you did not put your hand up, you will soon. You really plan on offering sessions soon. There's so this is how we build next culture. This is like Jose's question about about how do you build the next culture? Well, you do it this way. You do it by creating sessions and clarity and possibility and processes for people to get their skills back also, get their authority back, get themselves back to build next culture. Cool. Thank you, Ingrid. It is 7.29. Somebody have a one-minute question or comment. Gabriel and Sophia. Somebody has their hand on their head. Sophia, what would you do to that person? Could you repeat it? I didn't get it. Uh, so the person next to you was holding their head. I was wondering what you did to them. I'm sending love. Okay. I'm in the shade. This is Susanne. Okay. Oh, Susanne, hi. Great. Okay. Thank you. Anybody else? Anything else right now? So you got your... Yes, Habet. Habet. You have to turn your mic on. Yeah, we yeah. got you. Uh, I, I, it's half a question and half a realization. It's about my points that I found out for myself. And I wrote them down and now I realize or oh, they have the question of in which way it is um, related to a partner or relationship. Because actually the points that I wrote down for myself are basically about um, not showing up as a healer or as a trainer it's um, because you said in the beginning that we should get our project like as if the partner or that person is the project and i realized that i can live with the fact that my partner is how he is and i don't need to change him or anything even if he's in low drama but what i see is my difficulties are with me and my identity as a healer or as a yeah as a team player let's say it's more that than the one-on-one -on -one thing mm -hmm. well thank you for bringing that up and out here 
if you're going to be a healer, you will have a client or, a, and then all of a sudden you have the one-on-one -on -one thing. So it is the same. If, you know, it is the same thing, you get it? It is the same. It's really the same. So that, yeah. Do you need more about that? Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Go, Habit, go. <laughs> All right. The bells are ringing over here in Robinsburg, Germany. We will stick around for a few more minutes. Anybody needs anything? Thank you all very much for being here. I look forward to this. Yeah, thank you guys, Amanda, Quinn. Thank you guys. Yeah, I really look forward to being with you all each week, even when I'm wounded and beaten up. I can't have to come here and be with you guys. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so if you need to go now, we'll see you later. Have a good experiments. Have a great week. And if anybody's sticking around, we'll just, hang out for a few minutes. Tiffany, she gone? Hi, no, I'm here. Hey, where are you? I'm in um, Brazil, Rio de Janeiro, and I was invited by Mia Glick. Hey, hey Mia. Yeah. Hey, do you have any, what, what are you doing for relationship experiments? Well, <clears throat> I was introduced to possibility management by Mia, and uh, she holds space for us every Friday. And um, I'm just really just learning. Um, every week we, we pick a chapter and we go through it. And she asked me to join this meeting because um, just a further experiment, you know. And so, so I'm doing. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming in. Thanks for. It's nice to see you. I didn't see you before. Yeah. Thank you for saying hi. Tiffany, your mother now is on our Friday group too. Oh yeah, yeah. So now my and my mom joined as well, <laughs> which is interesting because yes. Um, Great. Yeah, moms are interesting. Thank you. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Ethan, are you still there? Are you are you are you indecent or what Ethan? Are you still there? Maybe he isn't. Maria, how are you? I've lost the capacity to answer that question. 
I feel glad when people ask me that question, I go, well, the sky is kind of blue. There's some clouds. The sun is still out. It's usually what I say. I can ask another question, but I just wanted to say hi. I actually have a question, but I don't have a lot of clarity about how to just fumble it. around. We we um, are all fumbling. Just fumble around. Okay, I'm gonna fumble around. Um, I'm in this relationship experiment that is bringing every painful reality of low drama to the surface right now. And this guy is like a rapid accelerator. <laughs> and I'm really struggling to um, keep my center when low drama is in the space. Like if, if I'm not bringing it and my partner is bringing it, I give him my center immediately. And then I'm like, then I just bring it like times 10 because I want to, like, my gremlin just kicks in and I have a hard time taming her in those moments. And, yeah, I, I, I don't really know what the question is so much as, like, when do you quit? <laughs> um, no, so wait, so wait. You, you, this is such an important question and, you know, there isn't really an answer. At, and at the same time, it's great that you're feeling you're feeling stuff. It's it's very it's very like this is what this is about. Is your ability to um, stay present in your body and feel that stuff. So, the the phrase for me is something like, relationships don't die from a lack of love; they die from a lack of intimacy. Gremlin intimacy is no reason for a relationship if you want something besides ordinary relationship so i don't really know you so well i have just heard a couple really wonderful comments from and chloe about how glad she is to be in the rage club and stuff with you so i don't really know what you're up to and uh the invitation that i would make is Pick one day a week, for example, and, and forbid your gremlin to have any low dramas at all that day, 24 hours. It's a 24-hour day. It's not an eight-hour day. It's a 24-hour day. And, and when you forbid yourself from any low drama, being not a victim because the, the apricot got moldy, and somebody didn't eat it, you know, you paid good money for it and it's moldy and you have to throw it away now. You know, you're not a victim of that. You're not a victim that the phone rings just when the baby got to sleep and he wakes up again. Not a victim. You know, like that, that whole day for 24 hours, it's impossible for you to be involved in low drama. And so you figure out some way to do that and see if you can hand if you can handle being Maria for 24 hours with no low dramas. Gremlin at your side, short chain, sitting there. You just say no low dramas today. You're, it's a it's a low drama fast today. And it helps to do that if you can also simultaneously be involved in some kind of high drama. 
So it turns out, what's your, baby, what's your baby's name? I forget his, his name. His name's Valentino. Valentino. <laughs> Valentino. Caring for Valentino is high drama. It's like, I don't, it's, there's, there's a thing, there's a thing about being a mom with a kid like this, you know, until he's seven years old or something. You know, when he's seven years old, he really needs to start getting with the men. But for the first six, seven years, it's the mom's job to be with the kid. And so that's high drama. And it's high drama because you're uh, holding, like this, the, he's in a rapid evolution of consciousness space. You know, sometimes he just is on absorb. Sometimes he's on break everything. Sometimes he's on sleep. Sometimes he's on cry the whole time, whatever. He's in rapid evolution phase and you're holding space for this and you're going on his journey. So you, that journey is high drama in reality. So that helps. It helps to, to get it that, that you're not just trying to stop low drama, you're replacing it with high drama. So for these 24 hours, only, only run high drama and see what you get from that. It's like you just forbid, like this is a, it's, it's not possible for you to do low drama that day. And, you know, if, if you slip up, you know, if you, if you do a low drama, don't beat yourself up. Just say, oops, back to no low drama. Sorry, that was a low drama. I'm not going there. You know, tell your gremlin, sit. You know, not, nothing today. Drink water. <laughs> Breathe the air. There's plenty of, okay? So th this, and what you will find, I think, is... If you can do that, you will, your, your partner will notice it and they will have to deal with no, no low dramas from you for those 24 hours. So if that's a positive thing for them, it's worth sticking around. If that's a really negative thing for them that you can't get sucked into a low drama even for 24 hours, if that's a really negative thing, well, maybe, maybe they're in the thing for low drama and maybe you're not, but, but nobody can bring you into a low drama if you don't want to go there. Nobody. If you're in a low drama, you did it on purpose. It's bad news and good news. You know, it's a mirror in the face. It's really in the face. It's impossible to go in a low drama unless you choose. And you can choose not to go in low drama. Somebody could step on your foot. Somebody could crash your car. Somebody could like whatever, barf on your on your on your breakfast. Whatever they could do, like stuff can happen, and you just make up a different story. You know, it's like, God, this is a high drama. How how is this a high drama? You just get really good at coming up with amazing stories about how this is not low drama, and. You know, all of a sudden you realize that you're actually a script writer for high drama stories. People don't even know what that is in the world right now. But you have so many examples in your day-to-day -day life that every time shit happens, you make it into this high drama and, and you, you know, everybody grows in consciousness and life transforms because you create high drama out of it. And all of a sudden you've got a new career. Um, can I change the subject for a second? Yes, and thank you. You should be a radio announcer. <laughs> you know, uh, you should I have tried your own to be a voice actor once, but I wasn't much of an actor. What about acting? 
It's about, it's about holding this space with your voice on the radio. You just, you just command the space. You don't have to do acting. You just, you just fill up the space with like cool stuff, whatever. Yeah, well, maybe possibility management is teaching me how to be uh, an actor of conscious theater, and then I can become a voice actor yeah. of conscious theater. <laughs> See, you're doing it already. You just, you just created high drama. <laughs> Thank you, Maria. Thank nice you. Okay. Anybody else have anything? Pontus, you okay? You've been you've been kind of still. I'm okay in the stillness. What, what is that? What is that about? Listening. Is it going down smooth, kind of like a banana milkshake? <laughs> um, it, it's been a bumpy ride over the last days. So right now I, I enjoy the smoothness or the stillness. Yeah. Where are you? Where are you right now physically in the earth? South of Sweden. Uh, I have a forest in front of me and a lake uh, to the right of me. <laughs> in the south part of Sweden. Yeah. South part of Sweden. Yeah, thanks for your listening. It really helps that kind of listening is wonderful to speak into. So thank you for providing that. Cool. Thank you. Well, all right then. Kalista, you okay? You look you look like a queen. You know, <laughs> you're just like the presence and the what do you call it? It's like this, there's words like satisfaction or regalness or it's sort of like you know people live our lives we live our lives and if we're paying attention and also paying attention to our attention so that we're actually in some kind of waking state it builds these matrix and as 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 you do that for a long enough time the matrix gets complex and sophisticated and elegant. And what that means is then it's kind of imperturbable, imperturbable. So I don't, I don't, I haven't been around you lately, so I don't know if you're actually in the imperturbable state, but the imperturbable state has a lot to offer to other people, like in terms of holding space and in terms of catalyzing uh conflict or breakdown into a productive outcome it sort of automatically catalyzes that just through the presence of the complexity of of your meme construct or something so is that how is that for you i can relate to that very much yes where are you and calling from I am calling from um, Yohats, the Oregon coast, and I'm in my room of my space. And is it, is, are you in a community? Are you in community there? Yes, a village between four and 800, depending on the season. 
Mm -hmm. How many of them are your friends? Uh, I would say 120. But you, to, you ever go to town hall meetings? Do you ever go to the, the meeting, the mayor's office meetings? Rare, sometimes. You know, I would encourage you to go more often. Okay. Not necessary to say so much, but for your presence to be there. And after you're there for three or four meetings, then propose something. And propose something like, I'd like to propose depaving Main Street and making it a walking zone. Yes. And putting the cars around the outside because this town is really about our, our people and not about cars. The town is about people and not cars. And I propose Main Street and make it a, a pedestrian zone only. People can access stuff from the back of the building somewhere else, bring in horses, you know, bring some wagons and stuff, but just no, you know, and, and then every, every meeting, then sit there for the whole meeting and say, I'd like to propose depaving Main Street. And after the third or fourth time you propose it, because you're, you know, you're so big, your being is so present and big and complex enough, the people will start giving it credibility. And you'll, people will start talking to you afterwards. You know, they'll come to the cafe and say, Kalista, what are you, are you serious? No, I would, I would rather have our town centered on human interaction and people talking to each other than cars driving through with the teenagers, you know, cruising their vehicles on Saturday night, Friday night, you know. So, and then, and then what happens with people will just get it. But anyway, I would think that would be a very cool experiment that would be worth doing. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Challenge. <laughs> High drama. Yeah. High drama. <laughs> cool. All right. All right. I think I'm going to wrap it up. Maria, thanks. Thanks, everybody, for being there. Mia, thanks for bringing your mom and your friends and everybody, your sister, everybody. Cole, nice to meet you. Tiffany, Doris. Doris, alo aloha. I know you're in Costa Rica and they don't say aloha there. They say pura vida, but aloha anyway. All right. Have a good week. All the best. Thank you. Have okay. a good week. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you.